You're listening to BAU, Business as Unusual, the podcast that speaks to the people behind the movements, organisations and ideas that are shifting the way we think, interact and transact. We were at one end recording these interviews and now we're at sort of, I don't know where we call this, hindsight will let us know, but it feels like the middle towards the end. Yeah, yeah, it feels like it or feels like a shift. Yeah. It feels like a shift. There's been restrictions lifted at least for the first time. Yeah, true. true. Um, as of today. Yeah, hence why we're able to be together, That's Patrick. It. Well, it's work. It nice? Well, isn't it nice? Yeah, lovely to see you. Yeah. <laughs> 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 no, look, I mean, what would you say? Like, you kind of, you know, like I think it's it's kind of like there's been a few things. I mean, obviously reflecting back to that day. I mean, I think it's. I've thought about particularly the, you know, both Al as well as kind of Connor. But, you know, I think from Connor's perspective with the kind of the children's farm, like I've been thinking a lot about like what's what's happened, right? What has actually happened for those kids, right? So those kids who they kind of went to that space, that was their safe space to kind of go. That's the place where they got kind of meaning and structure kind of going in into that where like what's going on with that. Right. And, you know, that was certainly kind of one of the big, big takeaways I had from from that was really the role of that place in the lives of of kids. Because it wasn't just a place. It was actually something that gave them a strong sense of identity. Mm. Those things are kind of missing at the moment. Right. You Mm. might have them individually, but you certainly don't get a sense of being in a place like that where, you know, kind of, um, you know, people's lives change. Right. Yeah. Hundred percent have been doing for a while. So, yeah. It'll be interesting to see how they bounce back, and I feel like they, I feel like community will really turn to those places. But um, hmm. there's a lot of forecast about how we'll interact in the future. Yeah, it's yeah, it's interesting. I mean, what's what's kind of what what stayed with you from that day? So you know, kind of you, you cast your cast your eye back. What's what stayed with you? Just the positivity that that place always. And I've got a history there. I did a big project um, out there at the Collingwood Children's Farm and dived deep into their history. So understanding what that place is and what it has been for so long, I think, and speaking to people who have spent a lot of their time there, that place will be in good hands, I think, for the future. Um, And Connor, on that day, and what you'll listen back to is hearing a really good projection onto where that place is wanting to go. And I think there's a good rally around where they want to take that. And I think... Um, if they allow time to reflect on what COVID has done um, to community as a whole and society, I think they'll be able to steer the ship in a really good way because that place is, is something special to lots of people. Um, yeah. And if they do the call out and really, really harness, I suppose, the moment that we're in now, it's never happened before in anyone's life, I think it could it could really harness some of that vision that Connor was sharing and maybe even focus it because as a community place like that, everyone's trying to pull it in different ways. But I think this might really funnel some energy for the next decade yeah yeah and that's in yeah i like i I've, yeah i took that from that that conversation too is that it does feel like everyone you know was was united behind what they were trying to do but probably everyone had a slightly different piece of the sale you know in terms of kind of actually what they're what they were trying to trying to accomplish so yeah i mean it does make me think that kind of coming out of this maybe that they'll have to be a little bit clearer on actually kind of, you know, how that all works together. Because I, th- I think it is the classic story. I mean, you've, you've got a much more um, in-depth understanding of the place. But certainly being there, I think that's the second time I've ever been there. And, you know, it's, it kind of, you don't, you don't get it. Like, you actually, from the outside, looking in, you know, you kind of, 
like first off i was getting a little bit like shitty because i was like where is this place right so i kind of missed it and then i was like oh that's right yeah kind of i've got to turn into this little kind of residential street and it's actually is by the uh the kind of what was it a monastery no it was like yeah a, like a so the Abbotsford convent down convent, there convent. that's right yeah so yeah the kind of uh you know for for nuns in the convent and so kind of you plug that into your head you kind of get there and then you know you're kind of you're walking into the spot and you're kind of like well what does it do right because it kind of feels like it's you know partly it kind of feels like a farm but not really it kind of you know you can kind of feel like you're near the river but you don't see it you know you can kind of you know you get a strong sense that some good stuff happens there but you don't know and so but then you kind of sit down and you know like i I remember the guy kind of stacking the you remember the guy (laughs) stacking the beer fridge right and i was kind of like oh that's really that kind of says it all right kind of walking into this place and here's this kind of guy you know figuring it out with connor we're setting up to kind of have a chat with his boss and he's kind of trying to figure out like how much beer they need for the pizza night because they you know they want to kind of thank people who've actually been volunteering there and that's all they can do to kind of help them Right. And you kind of, you know, you can clearly see he's trying to figure out what's the best he can do out of that to actually be able to say thanks. And, you know, that's I mean, that's you you never get that. Right. But in that moment, I was kind of like, that's what this place is. It's Mm -hmm. just kind of people on one side trying to do really good stuff. And then people on the other side who are grateful to receive it. Right. Which is, you know, that's really stuck with me since since we were there. We don't have that stuff anymore, right? Yeah. I think that's that's the kind of the the other reflection, you know, kind of coming through. I mean, I grew up on, you know, kind of in a farming, you know, community in in Canada. You know, my parents kind of had a hobby farm, and you know, you were always you kind of you were always exposed to, you know, there was animals around and kind of stuff growing, and then. But you kind of, you know, when I lived in the city for, you know, many years in in Melbourne as well as in the UK, you very quickly realized like how disconnected you are from nature. Right. And really, like my my outlet for that was always surfing. So, you know, I would always at least, you know, once every couple of weeks get out of the city and at least get in the water somewhere. Now, moving out of the city and kind of then, you know, you kind of you just you realize that kind of how when you're in nature and really in nature, like you're kind of immersed in it all the time, you just you actually feel very different. Right. And that's that's kind of that's the other thing I've been you know really seeing is that like even my kids and kind of, you know, everyone, just kind of everyone, like just kind of actually immersed in it, they are a bit different than they would be, would be otherwise. So, I mean, the COVID thing has kind of been like, people are always a bit weird to kind of interact, but I do think kind of people have been really searching out kind of, um, you know, nature in a way that I hope maybe makes people a little bit more appreciative of what we have. Mm. So, you know, next time they decide to throw their big mac wrapper at the window maybe they'll uh, think twice because they've actually walked you know they've walked a trail where that's where that's happened whereas before i think a lot of people would just drive around you know kind of and have a look at the window mm-hmm. i hope everyone enjoys hearing from connor um and get a bit of a sense of what the place is about um but if you ever want to hear more you should jump into the collingwood children's farm and listen to the podcast there's some nifty work about their history 100%. and it'll give you a little insight into a few other things 
Yeah, I mean, she's she's a great girl. Wow, you know, just in terms of kind of like her perspective, I think is uh, yeah something that everyone should listen to. You know, it's kind of to me, it was uh, it's rare. It's rare you meet people, right? So kind of you know both her and Al, who will come on to kind of chat with you later. There's there's something about them that you can't really put into words, but you get a sense of them. Um, I think through kind of their stories and the way that they actually communicate. Hmm. true. So what? What does a typical day look like here if coronavirus isn't going around? Oh, well, um, here at the Collingwood Children's Farm, hmm. um, well, we, we, we had a lovely meeting today. We, um, we're moving into a period of change, so we like to come together as a group and sort of talk about what our mission is, what our purpose is, and how we can keep that at the forefront of what we're doing as we move into these new... Um, you know, projects that we're going to take on. So, um, you know, we meet every morning, we remind ourselves why we're here and we go off and we do our thing. Um, We have a lot of school groups coming through and looking at, um, uh, yeah, we run lots of education programs. So meet and greet, you get to meet all the animals, um, sustainability, uh, paddock to plate, living things. Um, we have a lot of uh, community volunteer groups coming through, so either um, in a supported capacity or otherwise. Um, so we offer a lot of socially inclusive uh, programs here at the farm. Um, and it's all about community connections, community engagement, um, and getting as many people um, getting their hands dirty, but connecting with one another through um, a love of the outdoors, a love of animals, a love of plants, nature. Um, so at the moment where we've got a new um, landscape and vegetation report, so we've got 19 recommendations to get through. So we're having a, an event tonight actually where we're sort of looking at how we're going to roll those out, how do we prioritise them. Um, we're working on the Yarra strategic plan, how are we going to engage the community with the, with the river um, how do we work with our traditional owners on, um, you know, education for the public? Um, oh, there's so many different things. We have uh-huh. animals, we have gardens, <laughs> we have young people. We have. I took the University of the Third Age through the farm today. Um, so you know, mature age students wanting to learn about gardens. It's lovely. Never a dull moment. <laughs> Never a dull moment. That's for sure. Well, what holds the core? What's the core? Of the Collingwood Children's Farm, because there is so much going on. What is that? We are a community farm in the city, um, engaging city folk, city folk in country life. And we do that through a range of socially inclusive programs. So um, we are here primarily to support people in the community experiencing adversity. Um, and we do that through a range of different activities. And how do you um, how do you make the link between, you know, you're talking about the the role of kind of being being bringing people back to country or back back to a place. I mean, what attracted you to come here in the first place and be a part be a part of that? And why do you think it's so important in today's age? Well, that's a many layered sort of question. Mm -hmm. Um, I. Uh, years ago, so I've, I've come from a, a, a background in education. Right. Um, so I was actually bringing students here for about seven years before I got the job here. 
Um, and that came about because I was working with children who had disengaged with trauma backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And I learned very quickly that trying to get that cohort of students to sit in a classroom and do classwork was futile. Mm-hmm. So I developed um, an alternative education program, hands-on, um, and the boys, uh, there were some girls, but the boys at that time that I was working with loved physical activity. They loved digging holes. They loved mm. shifting things, working on things, you know, getting getting outdoors, getting physical. Um, and so we developed a whole bunch of different programs at the school at the time, um, but ended up coming down here and doing a program one day a week where these guys would... Um, you know, do the poo pick up, clean out the pig styes, all of that kind of stuff. But then they started to get engaged with using tools and um, developing woodworking skills and just that connection to this space or that connection to a place where they were valued and they were greeted every day that they came here with, oh, thank God you're here, you know, we yeah. really need you for this particular job or we really need you to help us with this then all of a sudden their sense of purpose was, you know, mm. it, it was huge. And where they hadn't potentially felt like they could contribute anything in the past, they were all, all of a sudden a really um, vital part of this place. Yeah. So their connection to this space then became something that was um, really, really important to them. And that was beautiful to watch. For sure, for sure. Have you ever experienced something like this before you started coming here as an educator and bringing those kids the Collingwood Children's Farm no um I was really surprised when I first came here I you know I as a teacher I was coming on an excursion to the Collingwood Children's Farm I thought it was going to be this weird little petting zoo where there might be lots of animals in cages and we might get to feed a bunny rabbit or something I really didn't know what to expect so the Collingwood Children's Farm is five kilometres from the centre of Melbourne CBD. So it's just like it, you, you think that you're in the country here. And I was sort of like, woohoo, mm. as, a, as a teacher, what a great place to be able to come down to. And um, yeah, and then, you know, the longer you spend time here, the more you realise just how many different people are connected to this space and what it means to all of those different people. It's, it's incredible. Mm. Unique. Yeah, and do you think there's anywhere else like this in Australia or, or in the world? Are there other places that you draw parallels to the Collingwood Children's Row? Um, well, since since coming here, I've obviously um, visited a lot of other city farms. So there are a lot of other places around that, mm. um, you know, do um, have a really similar purpose or a similar um, sort of opportunity for people to engage with animals and gardening. Um, I would say this place is unique just in the sense of, you know, how it was set up and and the fact that this particular block of land is considered one of the oldest continuously farmed blocks of land in Victoria. So that's that's special. Um, But, you know, there's um, adventure playgrounds and there's all of these other spaces in Europe. There's other city farms around Australia that are attempting to do um, the same sort of stuff. So yeah. it's not unique in that sense, but it's unique in other senses. Yeah, yeah great. great. From, from my perspective, I've got to come here um, a few times and see it and always hear about the Collingwood Children's Farm and different people's interpretations, relationships with the farm. 
Um, and I could never draw a parallel from my experience, maybe a little bit from school, but I was wondering for you, like, what was your experience as a kid growing up and did you ever connect to the earth? Did you have to get your hands dirty? Like, what was your memory of being young, seeing the kids come in here? Um, well, I grew up predominantly on the Sunshine Coast hinterland, Mullaney. Um, so, you know, dairy farms were all around me. My grandfather had a dairy farm. Um, so I did spend a lot of time outdoors. I did spend a lot of time pretending that the macadamia plantation was my house. <laughs> um, and I have a really fond memory when I was in Brisbane as a child, as a nine-year-old, going to my then school teacher, Mrs. Fogg. She had a farm in Sanford. Fogg's Farm and I got to milk a cow and then I got to put quick in it and I got to drink it still warm straight from the udder which was you know I don't remember many things (laughs) but that's a standout (laughs) I also remember playing in a creek on that property and building a dam and cooking damper on a fire and doing all of those kind of things and we went camping a lot as children Um, and so I have a really fond memory of being outdoors and exploring without my parents anywhere near me, you know, like going off with other kids Mm -hmm. and having that opportunity, which I think a lot of kids these days don't get. Um, I've definitely met a lot of adults that haven't been camping before and think that, oh, you know, sleeping outside. I'm just like, oh, God, it's like it's the one thing that I do on a regular basis to reset. It's really important to me to spend that time outdoors and just sort of reconnect. And what do you think it gave you as a child? So you, as, a, as an adult, you use it to reset. But what do you think it actually set off in you spending that amount of time in nature, outdoors and exploring, I guess, kind of learning that animals aren't just something that ends up in your fridge, that they're actually kind of living beings that um, we have to relate to at some level? Yeah. Um, well, I think there's a, there's a saying, I think, that if you fall in love with nature, you'll do more to protect it. Um, I think that's really important, fostering that in kids. I think, um, you know, if I think about those places that I like going camping, which has then sort of um, followed me into adulthood, I love going on a hike. I love being as far away from civilization as I possibly can. I love not being able to hear the rumble of traffic or anything like that. So I think um, knowing the importance of how, um, how healing that can be um, I think is really important. And I think that's definitely something that's followed me into yeah. adulthood, you know, um, having that time and understanding the healing powers of nature. Um, and that's something that I guess it's another story I can tell. Um, uh, I um, got a scholarship a few years ago and I was able to spend that money on professional development. Um, and I had heard from a friend about um, healing in nature or going on hikes with um, disengaged kids. And um, I ended up looking up the Australian Association for Bush Adventure Therapy. And they were having a forum in yeah. Adelaide. I went along to that and I just remember walking into this room and I was like, I found my people. <laughs> it was just, you know, these really? people that were passionate about helping <clears throat> young kids that had trauma backgrounds or, you know, had been kicked out of every other school they've ever been into um, um, for no 
other reason other than they were just having a really hard time and probably just needed a big cuddle. But, you know, their behaviours would mean that they would get into trouble and they'd get suspended and expelled. Um, And so this group of people, you know, work with that cohort of kids by taking them out into the country and they take them on wilderness adventures, um, you know, rock climbing, hiking, whitewater rafting, whatever. Um, And that's when I realised the work that I was doing actually had a name, you know, Bush Adventure Therapy. Um, And there's all this science behind it and there's all these papers that have been written. Um, And so that made me go even further into it, like this stuff's really important. You're listening to BAU, Business as Unusual, the podcast that speaks to the people behind the movements, organisations and ideas that are shifting the way we think, interact and transact. Your hosts, Patrick Beggs of Per Production, a production house that works with organisations to create media that strengthens culture and communicates that culture to the world. And Joe Rogers, CEO of The Contenders, a brand agency famous for crafting brands which deliver results for those who work for them, shop for them and support them. For more information, head to baupod.co. If you find this podcast insightful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to our conversations. And what do you think it does? Um, what do you think it does for trauma, being actually immersed in in a world where you know, as you were saying before, that you can't hear the rumble of traffic. You know, you you do have to be at some level independent. But what does the science and your experience actually say about the effect that it does have on kids and their trauma? Um. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways it it helps. Um, Having time to reflect, um, not having anyone around you to judge you. um, um, So that's why um, therapy animals are really, really good. Um, Children can talk to animals and they can be with an animal without feeling like they're going to be judged or they they can't be made to feel embarrassed, they can't be made to feel um, unworthy or whatever um, with an animal. And so animals are really powerful in that sense. You can sort of sit down and just... You watch a therapy dog walk into a room with a kid that's like, you know, really heightened, just punched a hole in a wall. The dog walks in, the kid collapses, cuddles the dog, and, you know, everything soothes right down. So the same sort of thing in nature. If you've got that opportunity to push yourself so you can be, you know, pushed to the limits, you need to have the right supports around you to sort of help you through that process. But then that sense of achievement, you know, I can't walk that far carrying this much weight on my back. But when you do and you get to the end and you're like, wow, I did that, you know, and those those moments are really, really powerful because you can then take them into other areas of your life. It's always curious, Connor, where did you find yourself as a 20-year-old? What were you doing as a 20-something-year-old, say, first, start from 19? So, um, I'll go before that and uh, year 12, um, not really knowing what the hell I wanted to do. And then I had an exchange teacher um, over from Canada, he was my drama teacher. So he exchanged with my drama teacher, Mr. Burns. And I was not, um, yeah, I, I wasn't not into school. I didn't really care, you know. Um, I wasn't really interested. Um, not to say I didn't try, but, you know, I, I just wasn't 
or just did it because I had to sort of thing. But he made me interested. He was able to link what we were studying back to what was happening in the news. He made education relevant. But he also made every single student in that class feel like they had something to offer. And it stuck with me. I became a teacher. And and I do say that it was because of him, because I remember him. If he could make me, who was so not interested about history, about anything really, all of a sudden be interested in history and politics, I was like, whoa, this guy's magic. So then I, you know, decided to become a teacher, drama teacher, um... And I realised in Queensland that um, often when you graduate, you're going to end up being sent to a remote community. And I knew nothing about First Nations communities at the time. So I took my final year off to take a year out to travel around Australia. Um, I got part way around and then ended up in the UK. Um, it took me it took me three years to get back. Turn, turn left. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> slight detour but um when I did come back you know I was a bit world world traveled I'd um visited some pretty interesting countries and seen poverty and uh you know things that I wasn't exposed to growing up in Queensland um and then my first teaching gig was um in a community in central New South Wales and that's where it really all fell into place for me Um, I was really, really, really upset by the way um, the students were treated at the school that I was working at, um, particularly repulsed by the um, assistant principal saying to me, don't try too hard, they're not expected to pass. And it sort of made me realise, wow, you know, no wonder this school's trash, no wonder these kids don't want to come. Like, they're just being treated you know appallingly so unlike your first day yep that was my first day that was my introduction to that school so um i got chatting with a woman um another teacher there who was equally as appalled as i and we set about putting a proposal together for an arts week so we said look give us well obviously i got to know the kids and i got to find and got to realize that they were into music dancing um art hip-hop Um, And so we said, hey, would you allow us to scrap regular school for a week and put on um, sort of like an arts week? Um, And we called in all of these people. So we got hip-hop artists from Sydney. We got circus. We got African drumming. um, We got uh, the local elders to come down and do storytelling and art. Um, And lo and behold... It was successful. The school had the highest um, attendance rate that they'd seen in seven years. And we put on a community performance at the end of it. And that that was just like, oh, so this is how you do it. Like, ding, 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 ding. (laughs) (laughs) And so that really was like, then just like, I think from, from that point on, it was like, get to know the kids, find out what they like, and then work with that because then you're going to get them involved in learning 
Yeah, that's that's fantastic, and I guess it makes me makes me wonder about how how that approach has followed you here. So, I mean, part of what what I was interested in, obviously, with the Collingwood Children's Farm, is actually how does this place keep going? How do you actually take that? Because it doesn't sound that dissimilar to um, what you had to do with pulling together Art Week. I'm always interested about how, with a you know, with the funding environment we live in from a government perspective, how do you actually make everything all the ends meet, and then how do you actually reinvest back in the space that's become so special to so many um well i mean this place has has always been that place so the um the collingwood children's farm was set up for the kids that lived in the council um houses that had no backyard no access to green space 40 years ago so last year was the 40th birthday and um, it was really a celebration of all the people that have been involved in setting this place up and keeping it true to its roots. You know, um, it's quite spectacular that a place has um, yeah. Yeah, stayed, stayed so true to, you know, its original purpose. Um, so, you know, the community is definitely a big part of that. Um, we do get a small amount of um, funding for our early education program. We get a small amount of funding for our young farmers program. But essentially, the entry fees and renting this space out as a venue allows us to offer these free experiences for kids that can't afford it. So we have a lot of um, adult disability support groups come down. We have a lot of special education groups come down. And then we have you know, community groups um, that are involved either in our um, community garden or they come down and they do specific jobs here at the farm Um, they're as important to this farm um, to the running of it as every other person that comes down here so that's huge yeah Mm, it's beautiful it's cool yeah it's super cool cool. (laughs) it is it's amazing to see how many different people come through here what do you think you want this is an esoteric, strange question, but I'd love to hear what Connor would like to, to leave behind when she's, when you're not living here anymore, when you're not here. What do you want people to think Connor Hickey did? <laughs> what a question. <laughs> I don't know. I just want it to continue, you know, like I think... Um, one of the things that we struggle with here is that we want to do more. We want to do more and we could do so much more. You know, like we've got dudes down there that have got amazing woodworking skills. We've got amazing people that work here that want to do more with more people in the community. We just don't have the funds to do it. You know, we could get social workers down here. We could have all the kids that are disengaged from school in Yarra coming down here doing after-school programs. We could set up a workshop, you know, where they could be doing things, building things to either take home or put here at the farm. Like, we've got all of these ideas and we've got the skills. We just need the funds to to make it happen. Um, If I could put 10 more staff on and find the funds and secure those funds ongoing, that would be something I'd like to be able to do. Sounds like you do plenty, though. But, yeah, it's interesting to just hear that thought where you would take it. Yeah. there's. I mean, there's so many more people we could reach. Um, but as with any not-for-profit working mm-hmm. in this sector, you know, trying to help out where we can, there's just not the resourcing. And it makes me so mad when you see where big bucks are going when, you know, we're here just going, give us a little bit more <laughs> and we can help more people. Yeah. Um, 
yeah. but yeah you know we do what we can absolutely and how, how do you think the clarity um we were talking talking before we started about the clarity of purpose and kind of that you start every meeting by actually coming back to that how do you think that actually helps you navigate that because there's there's no doubt that you could do more and arguably you should be doing more in some ways if you actually had the funding but i'm always curious about how that sense of of purpose and mission actually enables you um to to operate in the landscape that you are well, um, I will clarify, we don't start every meeting with that. Um, right. I don't want to lie to anyone here, but we do, we do want to come back. Fair enough. We no do want to come back. We come back to our mission. Yeah. You know, we, and we spent, we spent the good part of last year just really refining that. You know, what are we here for? Because we could be, you know, we're an education source. We're a gardens place. We could run workshops for the general public, for adults for young kids you know but that coming back to that central you know we are here to support people experiencing adversity then if you keep that at the forefront so the the conversation that we had today was that you know we've got all this work that we want to get done Mm -hmm. and if we didn't have anyone here we could get it done so quickly so we built a retaining wall last year if we'd done that just with our staff with no interruptions we could have had that done in three months we're still going 18 months in and we have engaged a whole bunch of young people in the process so by just reminding ourselves that there's no pressure to get these things finished quickly it's about bringing as many people along for the ride as possible and the longer people are engaged in a project the better those relationships develop the more connected they feel to this space the more value they're adding because you know we couldn't we couldn't work on the wall last week dude you didn't show up you know where were you and we find that those kids that are coming from those schools you know they may not be going to school but they rock up every day that they're coming down to the farm and Mm. that says a lot i think yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. And um, I'm also curious about how that, that sense of identity that is one present in the place, but then also you're actually, you're, you're helping someone discover that for themselves is that, that it, it does seem we live in a world these days that is wants to run quicker and quicker to shorter and shorter term outcomes. Whereas if I'm hearing you correctly, it's actually the, it's actually about the process and actually about slowing down and allowing people to build those relationships that actually help them um, if they're facing adversity. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. And that's one of the things that we keep reminding ourselves we're on farm time now we're on farm (laughs) time now it takes a little bit longer and you know you know you've got to you've got to think about the the mixed abilities of the people that come down to this space and the skill sets and you know we want these kids to feel like they can do this work and those skills will then be transferred into whatever it is they go on to do next. So it's a stepping stone as well. Um, but, you know, we had one boy, um, and if you have a look online, there's um, an archive group of uh, videos. And for Education Week a couple of years back, um, one of my students, you know, he showed the Minister for Education around here and he told them, you know, I built those steps and I built that. And are you, do you feel comfortable touching an animal? Yeah, okay, come over here. I'll show you how to pat the goats, you know. And this is a kid, you know, like, who had been kicked out of several schools and now he was leading the Minister for Education around because he was integral to this space and he could show her around and, 
you know, that's a connection, if anything. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. That's brilliant. That's what I find so fascinating about this place is not only the service that it provides, but also its unusual model and how that rubs off on different people, organisations that connect with it. It's so nice to hear that slowing down model and what that gives to people and then hopefully it gets through to some. Yeah, well, you know, one of my things um, was at the school that I was teaching at, I was really sort of keen to to have that um, trauma education taught to teachers and I think that that's something that people should really um, take on board, whether you're a teacher or otherwise. Um, understanding trauma and the effects of trauma on the brain, the effects of uh, trauma on learning, um, processing, all of that kind of stuff. You know, you do need to give time to think. You do need to give time to develop relationships. So it does mean about, you know, slowing down, um, taking the pressure off a bit, bit by bit, you know, developing that trust over time um, and allowing, um, I guess, you know, things to sink in and, you know, you might have to demonstrate a few things for a bit. You might not have this person engaged in what you're doing for like three weeks, but eventually they'll start to understand, hang on, this person's safe, This I'm safe here, I can give this a go. Slowly, slowly, um, you get there. Oh, that's magic. And so let's let's say we're we're back here again in in 20 years time um what do you what do you think has actually changed about about the farm i mean do you think the the ethos will will remain but what where do you see this all all going i mean what 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 is important to the future of the collingwood children's farm um i do i do think the ethos will remain i think that's a really you know in deeply ingrained 40 years of the same message is pretty a pretty long time um, I do think climate change is going to have a massive effect on what happens here. Mm. I think that's something that we're looking at at the moment. You know, how do we make sure that the farm is here for the next 40 years? Um, you know, it's going to mean that, you know, what we do with our paddocks and where we plant our trees and all of that kind of stuff, food security might become a real issue. Um, so if we can then provide a space to teach people how to grow their own food, to be engaged in learning how to do that but also you know come and help us build a garden and you can take home a box of produce that sort of thing i'd really like to to see more community engagement um and you know working with um children's family youth services getting more groups down here engaged maybe out of out of hours you know like let's open up the possibility of um different activities happening in the evenings yeah. in the afternoons um yeah but we we will need to you know think very um cleverly about how we tackle you know climate change and and what that means for us and and what it means for the farm what it means for the animals um yeah yeah yep. hmm. thanks Connor. thank you <laughs> all right, I've got one last question for you, okay. if, if if that's all right. So you you were speaking just because perhaps the the Canadian uh, connection as well. But you you spoke before about uh, Mr. Burns and the, really that he, I guess, kind of created the template um, for what brought you into actually being being an educator. But who do you think you've influenced in terms of in in your journey? I mean, we've spoken a lot about the kids that come through here, but when you look when you look back on it, it might be a person or it might be a moment where you've really seen your own philosophy really manifest so there might be a moment um 
that you've connected with a child here or it might be a moment where you've connected with a colleague i'm just interested in a moment where you had a similar kind of um i guess transmission of uh Ooh. <laughs> um well the, i i think that the fact that the program that i set up at the school that i was at is still running um, is a cool thing. Um, and colleagues of mine who, you know, were jealous of my job ended up getting to do my job and they really love it. And so they've carried on that message and I guess, um, and that passion for trauma informed practice and flexible hands on education. Um, that's exciting. But I think, um, you know, I haven't quite gotten over it. I, I wasn't at the graduation of a student of mine last year because I don't even know how I missed it, but I missed it. But I was told recently, catching up with colleagues from that school, that um, this particular student got up on stage at her graduation and they have to talk about what was their most memorable experience of their school life. And this girl said, going on the hike you know, that I took her on and having this moment where she, you know, accomplished something and was able to move through some barriers. And I remember that moment because I was coaxing her up that hill and she was swearing and screaming and, you know, just was like she'd been telling me how much she loved nature and then in that moment she was, I hate nature, you know, like <laughs> so angry. But it was a turning point for her and she was able to say, you know what, I didn't want to do it and I did it and now I feel really good about it. And the fact that years later she brought that up as her favourite moment um, on uh, from her whole schooling uh, experience, I was a little bit chuffed about Thank you for listening to BAU, Business as Unusual. Subscribe and learn more at baupod.co. That's B-A-U-P-O-D-C-O.